Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Hello, America. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number, 877-973-7425, should you wish to be on the program. Happy to have you. I want to pivot to the Biden administration and focus on them. But before I do, Mark's been waiting patiently. And we're going to take Mark's phone call here before I move on, because I don't want to leave him hanging any more than I have to. Mark, welcome to the show. How are you? Eric, doing good. I'm enjoying your show today. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you were talking about how anyone can get past Trump. Mm-hmm. And I think I know how. Um, you know, I'm, I was a huge Trump supporter. I couldn't wait for that first presidential debate between him and Biden because Biden had been hiding out. And here's, you know, chance for Donald to take it to him. And I'm sure you probably remember, I'm pretty sure it's the first uh, debate, but Trump talked over him. He was just rude and crude and just acted horribly. And, um, you know, I think it turned off, you know, the soccer moms, the, the independents, people said, oh, I mean, I, my stomach, I was sick to my stomach after that. I said, he just lost the election. I think if any of those primary opponents just start playing some clips of that debate, how rude he was, I think that's what turns off a lot of people. Well, you know, it, it, it could in the general. I don't know that it turns off Republicans in a Republican primary, though, that, that he was rude to Joe Biden. If anything, I think that kind of helps him. Um, that. People kind of like the fact that, I mean, what, what do people say about Trump? He fights. That They like the he fights aspect of it. Um, and so being rude to Joe Biden may turn off independence, but I don't think it's going to turn off people who don't like Joe Biden, which is, I think, the um, <laughs> the bulk of the Republican primary voter. Speaking of Joe Biden, there's a story out today. It is in Axios uh, that Joe Biden, uh, well, he's he's angry, rude to people. In public, President Biden likes to whisper to make a point. In private, he's prone to yelling behind closed doors. Biden has such a quick trigger temper that some aides try to avoid meeting alone with him. Some take a colleague almost as a shield against a solo blast. The president's admonitions include uh, GD, how the F don't you know this? Don't effing BS me and get the F out of here, according to current and former Biden aides who have witnessed or been on the receiving end of such outbursts. The private eruptions paint a more complicated picture of Biden as a manager and president than his carefully crafted and cultivated image as a kindly uncle who loves aviator sunglasses and ice cream. Some Biden aides think the president would be better off occasionally displaying his temper in public. As a way to assuage voter concerns, the 80-year-old president is disengaged and too old. Senior and lower-level aides alike can be in Biden's line of fire. No one is safe, said an administration official. Biden aides still talk about how angry he got at Jeff Zintz, then the administration's COVID czar, in late 2021. When there, were, 
was a shortfall of testing kits as the Omicron variant spread. The rage was tempered. The man's now Biden's chief of staff. The White House, of course, declined to comment. There's no question Biden's temper is for real. It may not be as volcanic as Bill Clinton's, but it's definitely there. Whipple's book quotes former White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki as saying, I said to Biden multiple times, I know we have a really good trusting relationship when you yell at me the first time. Psaki wouldn't have to wait long. Biden's temper comes in the form of angry interactions rather than erratic temper tantrums. Ted Kaufman, Biden's longtime chief of staff, when the future president represented Delaware in the Senate, said Biden's process is policy-driven. Whatever. Okay, what on earth is going on here? Well, part of this is somebody's got a book to sell. The Atlantic on Friday published a big piece from Elliot Cohen essentially saying, uh, Mr. President, Godspeed, get out. You've got to leave, Mr. President. You, you, you're, you've, you can't guarantee you can stop Trump a second time. And he says Biden's too old, that we've got all of these concerns. And with these concerns, we've got to, we've got to get rid of Joe Biden. We've got to find fresh young face to take on the Republicans. And then there's Peggy Noonan's column. If you have read, for example, um, or heard anything about it, she kind of compares Donald Trump to Napoleon. But she says, the first primaries are just more than six months away. The first GOP debate is next month. And yet the only thing to be sure of is the clear and consistent majorities of Republicans, Democrats, and independents don't want the choice they're likely to get, a race between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. It has a depressing effect on political talk. If either party were daring and serious about history, it would shake off its front runner and increase its chance of winning in 2024. Democrats are stopped by their fear of the apparatus of presidential power. They're afraid to push against the big, inert, tentacled power blob that is the presidency. They fear they can't raise money in such circumstances. They fear unsettling things better the devil you know and fear that a challenger to Biden-Harris will be interpreted by a major part of their base as a move against the multiracial first female vice president. They fear the party isn't organized enough in a way isn't real enough to execute an unexpected national primary race. If Mr. Biden had more imagination than hunger, he'd apprehend his position and move boldly. Quote, after long thought, I judge that I have done the job set for me by history. I removed Donald Trump and saw to the ravages of the pandemic. I now throw open the gates and say to my party, go pick a president. You did all the right. You did it all right last time. You'll do fine this time too. What a hero he'd be, impressive to his foes, moving to his friends. History would treat him kindly, too. Not since George Washington, blah, blah, blah. But he has more hunger than imagination. There you have it. Uh, like it or not, that's Peggy Noonan, her suggestion, Joe Biden, go away. Nobody wants you. Same for the GOP and Trump, she says, that, that Trump will eventually fade. He will burn out. People will get tired of him, but they're not tired yet. She compares him to Napoleon to some degree. The data shows overwhelmingly that the Americans on the sidelines, not the hardcore partisans in the primaries, 
But the Americans on the sidelines, the Americans who show up and vote in the general election, but they don't really consider themselves hardcore progressives or hardcore conservatives or hardcore partisans. They just, they, they're citizens, so they vote. And they don't like the choices between Trump and Biden. They want someone new. And whichever party offers them something new, that party's going to win. I was talking to someone this morning who said the reality is that Donald Trump can beat Joe Biden. And every Republican needs to understand this, but every Republican also needs to understand that every other Republican has an easier time, and that's just what the data shows. And not just your opinion polling, but the private one-on-one interactions with voters around the country. And focus group after focus group, they all show it. But Republicans are dogmatically convinced that they got to rerun Trump and make him be Garfield. Uh, the president, not the car, not the cat, or Chester Arthur, whichever one it was who won the second time. Maybe it was Arthur anyway. But Biden is starting to get a growing number of Democrats who realize there's a problem. He is old. He's not getting any younger. Age will continue to weigh on him. And a lot of people, it's becoming a big issue. It's a concern even for Democrats. And see, they don't like, they don't like Kamala Harris. Even Democrats don't like Kamala Harris. Before the 2022 election, I was in Washington, D.C. meeting with some reporters, and they all assured me that the New York Times was working on a pretty big damning story about Joe Biden, his age, his acuity, his stamina. And then the election went different. The Democrats wound up doing not bad. For the first time since 2002, the party that held the White House did well in a midterm election. They kept the Senate. They picked up some seats. The Republicans got the House, but only very closely by like five seats. And all the stories were killed. But the stories are still out there. More importantly, the concerns are still out there. The concerns. Those concerns aren't going away. Those concerns continue to overshadow his campaign. And those concerns are his age, his stamina, his mental acuity, and his running mate. They can't get rid of Kamala Harris. The only thing Joe Biden can do to get rid of Kamala Harris is to get rid of himself. Gavin Newsom covets the job relentlessly. Would love to run a Republican against Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom wants it. He can't get it. The Democrats are now doing the what might have been with Gretchen Whitmer. They would love to have Gretchen Whitmer. Gretchen Whitmer, the governor, the lockdown governor of Michigan. That's who the Democrats think could resonate with middle America. They have no freaking clue on that, but they're convinced of it. They want someone else. They want someone else. Both sides should listen to the voters on the sidelines, who will be the determining factor of 2024. They will decide 2024, not you. If you're a rabid partisan, if you're pro-DeSantis, pro-Pence, pro-Scott, pro-Trump, pro-Biden, and you're listening and you're going to the primary, you need to understand you're not the person who's going to decide the election. It's the person who doesn't care about them, who is sitting on the sidelines, who only votes in the general election. They will decide the election, and those people say, I don't want any of these people. And they might sit home, and that presents a whole new dynamic. But it is also, I've got to say, not fantastic for any of us 
that a lot of people might sit home because the parties aren't listening, which suggests there's a viable option for a third party. And if you open the door for that third party, God knows what will happen. Both sides should be taking very seriously the number of voters who are deeply dissatisfied with the would-be choices. But I don't think either party is and either party. They don't care. They do not care. They're in it for power for the party. The men are just the vehicles. And they just think we're going to go with the guys who brought us to the dance. And we're going to take them back to the dance if we need to. Who cares about alternatives? Well, the voters do. So the the Georgia Spy Company put my hot tub in this morning, and it, it was raining, and so they were delayed. So I I couldn't I wasn't there for when they finished. I I had to go to work. I got I got to do the show. Got three hours a day that that I I'm I'm indisposed. My kids are sending me pictures suggesting that they have gotten in the thing. So it has a wireless connection, and I have turned the darn thing off. They better not get in that thing without me. I get to sit in it the first time. Me, it's mine, mine. It's where I'm going to go when I don't want to be around my family. And just because it's in the backyard doesn't give them permission to. (laughs) Just like, come on, you jerks. I haven't even gotten to sit in it yet. You're going to send me teasing pictures like you're trying to climb in without me? (laughs) No. Not going to let them. I'm very excited to get into this thing. All right. We got phone calls. 877-973-7425. Bruce, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. First off, I want to tell you I love the broken glass thing. I've agreed with that for years, and you did a beautiful job. Thank you. What I concerned me, your last caller was said that Trump was rude. I think that Joe Biden standing on the debate stage holding up a piece of paper with 51 signatures on it and and lying to the American public is terribly rude and offensive. And those are the kind of things I look at. Trump's a bottom line guy. And if there's another, if there were a a debate between the two of them, he should bring up Afghanistan, (laughs) the economy, Bidenomics, what Biden knows about economy, you could put in a thimble and it'd rattle like a BB in a boxcar. I've been studying it my whole life. And yeah, yeah. Nothing. I, I'm glad so, you say this because this kind of this gets to the point, Bruce. And, and while I, I understand his point that I, there are a lot of people who look at uh, Donald Trump fighting against the elite and the establishment, even though he's one of them. It's, it's like Dave Chappelle. Um, so Dave Chappelle did this thing on Saturday Night Live where he makes this point where the thing that he found enduring about Trump, he didn't like him, didn't vote for him, but he found enduring, is that Donald Trump would come out of the house of the elite and say, Do you all know what's going on in there? They're in there gaming the system. They're in there stacking the deck so that you can't get rich while they get richer. They're in there rewriting the regulations to punish you. If you'll excuse me, I got to get back in there and help them with the regulations. And he pulled the curtain back. He told everybody that was happening behind closed doors was happening. And he agreed to stand with the people against the people who were writing the rules. Whether he did it successfully or not, you can argue about But the fact of the matter is that you knew where Donald Trump stood, and it was not with the wine snobs. It was not with the the policymakers. It was not with the intellectuals of Washington, D.C., who stand as a circle of jerks to make our lives more miserable. He was with the guy at the NASCAR race. He was with the farmer on the tractor. Those were his people, and he seemed very unlikely. And you, you 
people kind of liked that he was in your face and rude and uh, upset the customs and sensibilities of Washington, D.C. You've at least got to be able to understand this, particularly if you want to beat Trump. you got to be able to understand that Donald Trump came across as a man fighting for the working class. Whether he actually was, whether he was actually good at it, uh, whether he was sincere does not matter. The fact is they perceived him to be on their side, and there is a growing movement of people in this country completely alienated from the policymakers of Washington. The fact that major media outlets and the Democratic Party thought it was wisdom to have the people who don't have college degrees in this country, of whom 60% are in that class, pay off the student loans of the rich entitled brats of America is infuriating to a lot of people. And that is a huge issue that Donald Trump could use in 2024. Because frankly, as much as these people think that they're the majority, they're actually not. The ones who were okay with the student loan bailout, percentage-wise, demographic-wise, they're in the minority. And a lot of people are furious that they're the ones who had to pay off the student loans for everybody else. It's a really big deal and one he could capitalize on. 877-973-7425 is the phone number. When we come back, I'll take your phone calls. And I got to spend a little more time on this Sound of Freedom movie. The, the media, including CNN, got on the act this weekend suggesting you shouldn't see it because it's part of a QAnon conspiracy theory when it is literally based on a true story of a man who truly fought human trafficking, but they're trying to drag politics in where no politics should be. I'll explain when we come back. Welcome. If you're on the lines, be patient with me because I want to talk about something personal. Um, Relates to all of you, the, the Sound of Freedom move me movie that's out, Jim Cavazel in it, the media attacking it because of him. I had a very short-lived TV show. Uh, it was short-lived because I wanted to do, it was a, it was going to be focused on faith and family. It was for, I guess, uh, the CRTV, which is now part of The Blaze, did five episodes. It didn't take off in large part because it wasn't media. It wasn't partisan. It wasn't red meat. Um, I wanted to do just interesting conversations with people about um, things they had done. And one of the, the people I interviewed was a victim of human trafficking. So I interviewed this young lady who will go nameless we had to keep her face out of the conversation when we interviewed her. Interviewed her in Atlanta, Georgia. Her parents trafficked her. Her father would rent her out for sex in high school. She had a younger sibling The younger sibling was privileged, loved, unabused. But this girl, the oldest of the kids, was rented out for sex, prostituted by her dad. Talk about a breach of trust. And she had good grades in school, and she was on the softball team and occasionally would come battered and bruised and would explain them away. 
No one was ever really curious because she was a, a good student who didn't get in trouble, who had good grades. Um, even if she was didn't acting right, just appeared to be a bad day. The parents were engaged in the school. They showed up at the softball games. I mean, it, it looked like a happy family on the outside, and she was being trafficked by her father. She eventually escaped. The mom and the dad went to jail. The mom was an accessory to the father. What a horrible breach of trust. This stuff happens. You know, back in the the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, Janet Reno, when she was attorney general, and then uh, published by John Ashcroft, they did a report on human trafficking in the country and a lot of human trafficking from Asia into the United States. In fact, the United States is kind of ground zero for human trafficking, and it used to be that uh, a lot of women and boys were imported into the United States for the sexual fulfillment of others. After 9-11, the border got tighter, and to fulfill the needs, it was American kids kidnapped. Several years ago when the Super Bowl was in Las Vegas, federal authorities raided some of the um, nefarious brothels of Las Vegas. So prostitution is legal in Nevada, but not in Las Vegas. And they raided some of the places that were engaged in prostitution in Las Vegas. And in at least one place, they found American kids who had been kidnapped. I know someone whose son was, they attempted to traffic him. He was lured in over social media, befriended a girl. Um, the girl lived near him. He began sneaking out of the house to see the girl and was one day at the girl's house. They had um, been intimate. And the girl's legs were wrapped tightly around him. And her father raped the boy. And he was then told, you can't go home now. How could you tell your very religious family that this has happened to you. You should stay here. And there he stayed until he got his wits about him and escaped and had a good enough relationship with his family that they took care of him and, and the situation was resolved and the girl had was essentially being trafficked and used as bait by the father who was luring in both boys and girls to be victims of trafficking. These are all real these things all happen. This is not made up stuff. There's a man named Tim Ballard. Tim Ballard uh, started an organization called Operation Underground Railroad. And Tim Ballard would rescue victims of human trafficking around the world. His story has been turned into a movie called Sound of Freedom. On Independence Day, 
Sound of Freedom made more money at the box office on Independence Day than the new Indiana Jones movie did. The movie had sailed under the radar, did not get a lot of traction outside of social media, the conservative press, and on Independence Day made more money in theaters on Independence Day than the Indiana Jones movie did. Operation Freedom had a budget of $14 million, made it all back in one day. Indiana Jones had a $300 million budget and may not make that money up. It's a clunker. So over the weekend, it was just very interesting to see the American press turn on Sound of Freedom. Because of Jim Gavazel, who is an actor, he was he played Jesus in The Passion of the Christ. He's been on several TV shows, famous actor, uh, a very good actor. He's in Count of Monte Cristo. Uh, but Jim Gavazel is not just a practicing Catholic. Uh, he is a conservative. And he uh, has spoke about human trafficking in the past and voiced something that sounded like QAnon conspiracy talking points. And so the media has attacked the movie because of the actor involved in the movie. They have suggested the movie is part of the QAnon conspiracy theory and so perhaps should not be watched. It's been very interesting to see and listen to the commentary on here. This is the conversation from CNN over the weekend about this movie. And you seem pretty familiar with him because he doesn't really hide his association with this real wild plot uh, that that involves, you know, drinking the blood of children and things like that. No, he doesn't hide it at all. And you have a lot of people who are in this world of QAnon who say, oh, they don't know what that is. They've never heard of it. They're just asking questions. With somebody like Jim Caviezel, he is openly embracing it. He's openly using its catchphrases and its concepts. He's speaking at QAnon conventions. And this film is being marketed to either specific QAnon believers or to people who believe all of the same tenets as QAnon, but claim they don't know what it is. And The Sound of Freedom does focus on a real issue of sex trafficking. Uh, but that theme, it, it's sort of like that kernel of truth that feeds the QAnon conspiracy theory. Uh, tell us how those two things work together. Sure. And the most durable and the most believable conspiracy theories are not entirely false. There's something in them that is true and the rest of it is false. But the believers point to the one true thing and they say, oh, you don't believe that this particular thing is true. In terms of child trafficking, we know trafficking is real. We know it has real victims. No one is denying that. But these films are created out of moral panics. They're created out of bogus statistics. They're created out of fear. And with something like Sound of Freedom, it specifically is looking at QAnon concepts of these child trafficking rings that are run by the high-level elites and only people like Tim Ballard and only people like Jim Caviezel and by extension only people like the ticket buyer can help bring these trafficking rings down. So there's a very participatory element. You're not just going to see a movie, you're just killing two hours on a hot day. You are helping bring down these, these pedophile rings and save children. Now it's not true, but it's a very comforting and it's a very warm feeling to have. Really? This is a true story. By the way, have you heard of a man, his name was Jeffrey Epstein, who actually did connect the wealthy around the world 
to human trafficking victims? You, you, you do realize that's a true story. That's not a QAnon conspiracy theory. The, the dismissiveness, because of Jim Caviezel, uh, suddenly the whole movie can be dismissed. The whole movie is somehow uh, woven into QAnon conspiracy theories. Y'all, we have been through Jeffrey Epstein. We still don't know who the people were that Jeffrey Epstein was serving up the, these girls to. We got no idea. The media has been conspicuously quiet about this. It's not a QAnon conspiracy. I have met the victims of human trafficking. I know someone who was nearly attempted, who he was attempted to be trafficked, nearly kidnapped. I know people who this happened to. We know the deviant predilections of people in Hollywood and, and the prostitution rings and the like. Heidi Fleiss was a real thing. Might not have been underage girls, but we know about the prostitution rings. We know about Jeffrey Epstein. We know about these things. And they're like, oh, it's QAnon. It's a QAnon conspiracy. You shouldn't watch this movie. It's based on a true story with a real human being involved. His documented life, and they don't want you to watch it. Why is that exactly? Why do you think they don't want you to watch a movie based on a true story that did very well at the box office? And notice they kept their mouths shut about it until it beat Indiana Jones on Independence Day. Why do you think that is that they're so invested in you not watching Sound of Freedom? Hmm? Hmm? I got some ideas. All right. To the phones we go. Jim's been waiting patiently. Jim, welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. Well, thanks, Eric. Um, listen, if the Democrats are able to shed Joe Biden, could that possibly encourage the Republicans to shed Donald Trump? No, I doubt it, um, because they would be shed for different reasons. Uh, the, the Democrats realize Joe Biden has all sorts of vulnerabilities, and they really do need someone stronger who is more likely to beat Donald Trump. They see the polling. Uh, I, I think Republicans— they may decide not to go with Donald Trump, but if they decide to get rid of Donald Trump, it's going to be because someone has a better message, uh, that, that someone really does convince them that they can stop the Democrats. I, I don't think that if one if the Democrats drop Biden, the Republicans inherently drop Donald Trump, I think someone's got to make the case for it. Someone's got to make the case for it. And I don't know that anyone right now is making the case. I will say this, and I will only leave names out of it. I was talking to someone who is tied to one of the other presidential campaigns on the right who vented his frustration that even their campaign's data shows that it's got to be DeSantis to stop Trump and that they're really frustrated he's not doing it. Now, I read that as they want DeSantis to be the one to throw himself on the grenade uh, and, and blow himself up so that they can win, but all these other campaigns are like, DeSantis, why aren't you putting points on the board why is your campaign kind of stagnant right now? Well, he's got time to turn things around, and I think he just might. Uh, but it is notable that all the other campaigns as well think that he's got to be the one. I, if Republicans d decide to ditch Trump, I don't think it will be because of anything the Democrats have done. I, I think they will finally realize that he might not be disciplined enough to take on the well-oiled machine of a campaign team that some of them already believe stole the election once and – could otherwise not be stopped from stealing the election the second time. Each side has its own motives for how it handles its candidates. I don't think one side dictates how the other side does it. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Phone number 877-973-7425, except it is too late. 
You can't get on now. We're winding down. All right. So I've saved this for the end. I've saved this for the end. Because I know so many of you don't care. You should care about it. The PGA Tour and live. Randall Stevenson is, uh, he was the AT&T guy. Wasn't he the guy who kind of oversaw the iPhone or some such? Or uh, he, he had something to do with the, the iPhone and, and singular back in the day, I think. I can't remember, though. But Randall Stevenson was the uh, CEO of AT&T. And uh, he has stepped down from the policy board of the PGA Tour because he cannot reconcile uh, the PGA Tour being involved with the Saudi Arabians, particularly in light of Jamal Khashoggi. Uh, He said in his resignation uh, deal that the framework, quote, is not one that I can objectively evaluate or in good conscience support, particularly in light of the U.S. intelligence report concerning Jamal Khashoggi in 2018. So he's done. Now, uh, the PGA is being hauled before Congress later this week to talk about what's going on. I got concerns on this, actually. Look, I don't, I I honestly, and I I, kind of feel bad for saying it, but the Jamal Khashoggi stuff, I, okay, um, so what are we to do about it? You're going to punish Saudi Arabia? You're, You're not. You need their oil. You, you got to be nice to Saudi Arabia because otherwise they're going to go to China and Russia. Um, just deal with it. No clean hands. He wasn't a fantastic guy. Didn't deserve to die. What they did was horrible. But uh, time to move on. I, I hate to say it, but this is a real dangerous world we live in. And uh, the Saudi prince, he, he did bad. But they're our ally. But I don't like this whole concept because I like the meritocracy of the PGA Tour. You play good enough, you go to the PGA Tour. So I, I play golf with several people, one of whom tried out for the tour. And he's like, I, I'm, he's great. I mean, it's I don't play with anyone better than this guy. But he's like, I, I wasn't PGA, couldn't get on the tour. It wasn't consistent enough. There's a meritocracy. And, and the thing that I dislike about Liv is they got the older guys the guys who weren't doing well, who were f- afraid of being dropped from the tour, they paid them a ton of money, and it's not a meritocracy. It's it's a name-image-likeness thing. Not the best guys get it. Um, the, the, the guys who have this big, loud fan base get it. And I love the meritocracy of the PGA Tour. And I don't know that that's what we get with a merger between the PGA Tour and Liv. And also, I don't know that from an anti-competitive and, and, uh, standpoint, I don't know that it's a good thing. You, you, you are... Essentially, you now got two golf tours, and suddenly you're going to have, be back to one, and it's going to be an amalgamation of them all. I, I got just general concerns. Forget, take Saudi Arabia out of it, and I don't know that you can completely. But I do kind of worry as well about the Saudis buying up a sport and using that support to, to brand themselves as something. Qatar has tried this as well. It's only a matter of time before China starts doing this. Some argue that the PGA Tour is subsidized by China. I don't think that's the case. Um, but then I feel really bad about, for example, guys like Rory McIlroy, who uh, took a firm, principled stand in support of the PGA Tour, and uh, the powers that be there threw him under the bus. I mean, I genuinely respect Rory McIlroy. 
I, I respect what he does for the game, for the promotion of the game, for his principled stand about the game, uh, for his defense of the meritocracy of the PGA Tour, and the PGA Tour officials just threw him under the bus. I think you need to, to – I wish some billionaire would step forward with a lot of money and say, let's keep the PGA Tour going but make it the meritocracy run by the players and not by this outside group that – only gives them lip service and doesn't do anything. I just don't know that the the partnering with the Saudis is going to save golf uh, as a meritocratic sport. Um, and that's the more I play it, the more I get concerned with this sort of stuff. I know y'all don't care, but I care greatly. Now that I've gotten invested in, in playing this awful game that kills me, I hate it. I hate it. And I love it at the same time. That's just the life of someone who hits golf balls. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Have a great rest of the day. I got to go break in the hot tub.